You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. If you thought it was just going to be the Houston Astros, obviously that's wrong. As Alex Cora has lost his job as the manager of the Boston Red Sox, and Carlos Beltran has also lost his gig, he never even got a chance to manage one game. We're going to talk a lot about the the not only the Astros, but we're going to talk a lot about the Boston Red Sox and a Hall of Fame columnist, Dan Shaughnessy from the Boston Globe, is going to be here. Lou Merloni, who used to play for the Red Sox and is a radio host on WEEI, will also be here. And we'll talk with Tom Stone, who's done an outstanding job with a new book called Now Taking the Field, Baseball's All-Time Dream Teams for All 30 Franchises. And, of course, we'll have the face of the franchise, Raymond Fossey. <laughs> he joins us every Wednesday on A's Cast Live. But we'll start off with Dan Shaughnessy, shocking news out of Beantown, Alex Cora, and the Red Sox part ways. Dan, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing well. Um, we talked about this on Monday because obviously being the A's and in the same division as the Astros, uh, we, we were all over this, and we wondered at that time, you know, what's going to be the fate of Alex Cora, the guy who's mentioned in, in, in these papers more than anybody else? Were you shocked or not on how the Red Sox handled the firing of Alex Cora? Uh, no, I thought that, uh, you know, I, I called for this uh, early in the day yesterday. To me, it was obvious that he was this was not survivable and that they, they could not go on with this. Uh, there was going to be another suspension, at least a year. And who wants to have your manager under those conditions? And given the transgressions and, and all the shame that came with that, uh, they, they would have to move on. So um, I thought they might resist it and hang in there, and they did not. They, they capitulated uh, full time and, as you say, uh, fired the manager last night. Heim Bloom, have we ever seen a general manager have to deal with so much whether it's this, are you going to trade Mookie Betts, deal with all of this, and you haven't even had an official game yet. Do you think we've ever seen this in baseball? No, it's a fair point. I mean, for him to come in to walk into this uh, uh, bleep show and, and just landmines everywhere, uh, it's it's a lot. He's a young guy, and I mean, he comes to a place with you know a lot of star power, a lot of payroll, so it's a step up, and, and uh, he's got a chance to, you know, kind of have fun and maybe in a weird way uh being able to hire your own manager and have your own staff that might be a good thing it's not the way you'd want to have it unfold and it's it's time sensitive now but you know when you're when you're coming into that position you sort of want to have your own guys and he will have a chance to do that now although it's probably limited who can go get at this point yeah and we've kicked it around because uh tony larusa the hall of famer had an arf event here recently and bruce bochy was a part of it so we had bruce bochy 
on the program, and we know he still wants to manage. I mean, just kicking it around, whether you're the Astros, whether you're the Red Sox, you got spring training three weeks away. You need stability. You need stability now. Would you think about calling someone like Bruce Bochy saying, hey, Bochy, we just need some help this year? Well, you know more than I know. So if you're telling me Bochy wants to manage, then that would be end of the conversation, in my view, because you'd, you'd grab him in a heartbeat. And, uh, you know, we saw him, you know, the Giants came through here in September and, and it was his farewell tour and all that stuff. And he hasn't spent a lot of time here because he's a National League guy all those years. But uh, this is a guy with, you know, tremendous respect in baseball. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And, um, uh, <laughs> I mean, if, if you're telling me he would be agreeable to manage again, I'm telling you that would be the easiest call of all time to have him come in here immediately. Yeah, and sticking up there in the Northeast, the, everybody who's been mentioned has been fired except Carlos Beltran. Do you think Carlos Beltran survives this with the Mets? It feels like no. Um, I think that uh, a, a hot name is probably going to be Eduardo Perez now because uh, you know the Mets did interview him before they hired Beltran, and, and given all the unfortunate stigma that's come to Beltran, Tron's doorstep in the wake of the last few days. Um, if he doesn't survive this, I, I think the Mets could go back there. I think the Red Sox could talk to Perez. You know, he's uh, he's got great respect, and I, I I think they wish they had the Mets had hired him in the first place. And and now to me that that's a possibility. What did you think of the press conference today in Boston? Useless. You know, just uh, the notion that they won't they won't admit that they fired the manager it's insulting to the intelligence of all the fans and it just makes everything else suspect in my view. They're, they're very PR conscious and they're really bad at it. And, um, you know, falling back on the investigation, can't comment in reserve. There seemed to be a little inference that they don't think they're going to get spanked that hard on the next cheating scandal because they kept talking about reserve judgment and wait till that comes out. And uh, if it were comparable to Houston, I think that, uh, that would be a bad play to talk about reserving judgment and have it come out that way. And they were repeat offenders because they were slapped in, in 17, which makes me think any transgression would be greeted uh, harshly. So I don't know where this is going. Um, I think uh, I think it's going to be interesting how it plays out, and I'm, I'm not confident it will be in a good way for the Red Sox. Yeah, if I remember correctly, after the Apple Watch scandal – it was Rob Manfred, the commissioner, who came out and said the Boston Red Sox absolutely promised nothing like this will ever happen again. Right, and we ridiculed the commissioner then and basically said he was weak, and and uh, this was like sort of like the parental, okay, if, if you do this again, then you're in trouble. And I'm thinking, oh, this is really weak. Well, they did do it again, and they should be in trouble. And um, so to that point, we'll see. He certainly came back with guns blazing in the Houston thing. And and uh, even if the Sox transgressions aren't as bad as the Houston thing, the fact that they repeat offenders, I would think that would be worked against them. And then I start to think about Hein Bloom, and you got Mookie Betts. You know, whether you're going to sign him long term or you're going to trade him, with all this turmoil, would it make it a little bit easier to go into kind of a little mini rebuild and, and trade Mookie Betts now? Yeah, you bring up good points about, you know, the bloom, you know, this this could be in a way liberating for him because a little less pressure. And if they, if they get the kind of sanctions that Houston got, you know, 
one and two draft picks the next two years, I mean, it's going to be impossible to do the things they want to do. And they're, they're pretty depleted with the farm system as is the way Dombrowski uh, ignored it and traded away the people and didn't replenish it. So um, this is a lot for, for Heim Bloom to do. Uh, but uh, yours is a good point uh, that, that, that could be a little bit liberating for him to, uh, to do a reset here. You know, it's amazing is Boston's one of the great sports towns we have in this country. I got a lot of family in Boston and all the winning, the Super Bowls, the World Series, whether it's Stanley Cup or it's the NBA final wins. But right now it's kind of crazy because is Tom Brady out? Is he not going to be the quarterback anymore? What's happening with the Red Sox? It's been a wild time for you guys in Boston recently. Yeah, a lot of uh, you know the headlines aren't as good and uh, not quite as much chest thumping around here these days. So it doesn't mean they can't turn it around. There's still a lot of star power here, a lot of good teams, but certainly uh, you know going back since the Patriots won it you know a year ago, uh, things have not played out in a normal duck boat fashion for them. Do you think Brady will be the quarterback going into next season? I guess, given you know, gun to my head, fifty-fifty, I'd probably say yes. Uh, nothing changes, and they know they can beat these bums in the AFC East just showing up uh, with a forty-three-year-old quarterback. So, I think certainly, if he'll go on a year-to-year or one-year thing, that would be the way to go. But if he digs in and wants two, three years, and Bill won't do it, I would understand that. And then it gets into a showdown with the owner and the coach and all that sort of thing, which would be great theater for us. Dan, I tell you, you've had a wonderful career. I've always loved reading you. A lot of respect. Thank you so much for the time. We truly appreciate it. And uh, you're going to have a lot to write about the next couple weeks. Yeah, it never stops around here. Enjoyed it. Dan's great talking about anything. Definitely one of the top columnists in all of the country. Lou Merloni played for the Red Sox, now hosts a radio show on WEEI, the Red Sox flagship station. Here's Lou weighing in on the firing of Alex Cora. Lou, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you? Uh, just trying to get through this madness that's going on in baseball. That I actually just heard a joke. They said that uh, Carlos Beltran's punishment is that he has to manage the Mets. I actually thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, but I got to tell you, you know, you've covered this game. You've played this game. Let's just say something happens with Beltran. To say that we're going to spring training with three of our teams, don't have a manager, that's just insanity. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's such a different game today, you know. When you start thinking, you know, you got analytics and everyone's trying to find that slight edge. And then when technology is introduced, you know, you're always trying to find an edge. We know that's just baseball, whether it's tipping pitches, you know, people scuffing baseballs in the past or stealing signs organically, right? And with technology, it just it got to the point where it got too far. I think you had some people, you know, obviously Alex included and, you saw what happened down there in Houston that just got put winning ahead of all else. You know what I mean? And got kind of caught up in all that. Like, we need to win. We need to win. We can execute this. We can use this and, and, and gain an edge. And it's just it's unfortunate because I think Alex Cora is a very good guy. And so is an A.J. Hinch. And, and I don't know about if Beltran's situation is going to be or not, but now they're going to be out of the game for a while. Yeah, and, and, and we've talked so much about how – this affects so many different players. You know, it can affect a, a guy that got roughed up by the Astros, 
it was sent down, never got to the big leagues again, or you can look at even something bigger. Jose Altuve won the MVP in 2017. How would the voters change? Would Aaron Judge now get more of the votes? And, boy, how, how does that change Aaron Judge's life, that he's now an MVP and he goes into arbitration as an MVP, he makes more money? I mean, there's so many different ways, and I think you understand that as much as anybody as a former, as a former player. It, it affects so many different people so many different ways, and it affects the game money-wise, too. Well, I've always said that this, this is um, the technology and the steel signing. And, you know, the pitchers today are the clean players during the steroid era. And it's very similar to what you were just talking about. You know, there'd be guys that myself coming up to the minor leagues, 285, five, six home runs, just, you know, doing my thing. And guys that are very similar to me, next thing you know, they're popping 30 bombs a year and they're getting four or five-year deals. So it's, it's very similar, right? Like, you know, so um, you're right. And, and this is a way to – you know, AJ is gone. Alex is gone. People aren't happy with with everything that's been going on around them with Core maybe masterminding it and, and AJ allowing it as a manager because it's easier to just take one guy out of the equation and say they were the bad guys. Because I don't know if Houston, you know, wants to look at Altuve that way. The Red Sox want to look at Mookie that way. And, and now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden you're looking at the players saying what's different with them. They, they cut the free pass in this one. Um, but that's the way Manfred sort of set it up, right? Manager, GM, those are the guys you want to come down on. Yeah, it's like they cut off the head of the snake, but, you know, there's all this body there, and I just, I don't know how you would implement, like, who gets what? You know, guys banging on the trash can. How many games does he get suspended versus the guy that uh, that's up at the plate? Have you even thought about this, how you would even discipline players? No, and that's the tough part. But I think, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if after this Red Sox investigation that Manfred sort of leaves it a little bit more vague to give him a little bit more control. We've seen it in the NFL, right? Article 46 with Roger Goodell. It's so vague that he can basically do what he wants. So I think, you know, instead of limiting to just managers and general managers, maybe in the future – he starts looking at it and saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper, and if I, if I get players, then I'm going to get players. Now, he'll have a fight in his hand, MLBPA, but I wouldn't be shocked if he broadens it a little bit. You know, when, when, when I start thinking about Hein Bloom, you know, we saw it with Andrew Friedman. He's <laughs> successful in Tampa. He goes to L.A., now has more money, and I'm sure Hein Bloom kind of thought the situation he was getting, big market, more money to play with. I mean, this he hasn't even been the the, the CBO uh, running the show for a regular season game. He's had to fire his manager. He's had to talk about trading his best player. You think if Heidenblum could do it all over again, he would be like, I, I wish I was still in Tampa. Yeah, you know, I still think he welcomes the challenge. It's still a big job for him. But it is funny because he comes to Boston with a 230 is million dollar payroll. And he might actually have more financial restrictions with this club. You know, because they they don't want to spend ten more million. You know, they don't. So it, it's kind of a strange thing. But you see him in his press conference today, and you have to wonder that, like, good God, this guy's three weeks away from camp. He doesn't have a manager. Um, did he sign up for this? You know, uh, he he doesn't really with the big payroll. He doesn't have any money to spend. It's already on the roster, so it's uh, it's a tough spot for him. But he's a pretty impressive guy. So I think uh, we'll see how he handles this challenge. How will the fan base react if Mookie Betts is traded? You know, I, 
obviously, I don't think they're going to be happy. You're the Bucks and Red Sox. You have the highest payroll in baseball. How do you let one of arguably the top three players, all-around players in the game, walk? Um, you know, the flip side is is that, you know, Mookie Betts, if, if, if you make him a solid offer and he just wants to get the free agent, you know, if the Red Sox lose the player in this offseason, next offseason, I should say, you'll get a fifth-round draft pick for him. And, and that is, that's even worse. The same people, I think, right now that don't want them to trade Mookie will be upset at the Red Sox if they let him walk for a fifth-round pick that they didn't trade Mookie before. That's kind of just the way it works. Yeah, it's not easy for Bloom, And I'm going to put you in Bloom's no. shoes right now. All right, you need a manager. Do you go with a stopgap guy, someone that's just going to come in and hopefully give you some stability, get spring training rolling, and it's going to maybe just be a one-year deal, kind of a veteran manager that's been around who's out there? Or do you go the other way and you do a full-on search and you get a guy who you think is going to be lo- – you get a long-term guy. You're going to have to rush to get him done, but you go for the long, long-term long hire right now. Yeah, I don't think I'd go for the long-term hire right now. I just I, I think that's something you got to put more thought into. You want to look at the pool. You want to have some time to, to do the interview process. Take your time to get the right guy. Um, you know, as far as that veteran presence for a year, the first guy that jumps out to me is Boach, you know, Bruce Boachy. And he's a guy that comes in with respect. But I do think that it's got to be somebody like that if that's kind of where you go outside the organization. A lot of the up-and-coming guys, you know, Eddie Perez and, and Henry Mullins, it's, I don't think you dive into that right now. You want to interview and make sure you've got the right guy. The problem that Bloom has as far as internal goes, don't you have to wait for the investigation to come out? God forbid you you promote somebody to the manager's office and his name is all over the report in Boston. Now you got to make another move. So I think you try to find stability um, ultimately within the organization, you know, which is difficult because you look at your own staff and say, well, did you know, you know, I mean, you were right next to Alex the whole time. Were you aware? That's why I think his job right now is pretty difficult. Wow. Lou, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. There's an investigation going on. If you said, "Oh, this guy's our new manager," and then he's all over the report, you got to fire him, and you you essentially fire two managers in a span of what a month or whatever will be. That'd be, I mean, you think this is crazy? That'd even take it even even to a different wing in the nut house. Yeah, I mean, listen, Ron Renicky is an obvious choice, right? I mean, he's managed before in the big leagues. He's very knowledgeable. He's a good baseball man, you know. And I would say, you know, you put a guy like Jack Ver- Jason Veritek as his bench coach, but again, I, I don't know. I don't know what the investigation says. You know, I like to think that, you know, Ron's not mentioned in it, but he was his bench coach. So it's just the whole thing of clean slate moving forward. And this is where I think they have to decide whether that's the reason. Do they want an internal candidate for that? But you do need some people familiar with this ball club, don't you? We are three weeks away. I just, it's, it's, it's great. You know, I think about WEEI and sports talk in Boston you got Tom Brady, whether he's coming back. You got Alex Cora being fired. <laughs> this is like a gift for you guys. I mean, I, I, I'm very lucky. I felt like it's been a gift now for years. I mean, whether it's teams being successful or different controversies and, you know, going on for years here. So it's uh, there's definitely a lot to talk about. I thought we were going to be talking about Brady for three straight months, you know, and then something like this happened. So it's been a nice break from it. Hey, Lou, appreciate the time, and uh, we'll be checking back with you as this drama unfolds. All right, sounds good. Anytime. 
I mean, it's crazy, folks. When you first hear this, we're at a point where there's three major teams that don't have a manager, and spring training is less than three weeks away. What are they going to do? Who knows? But it's just wild times in the game of baseball. Tom Stone is the author of Now Taking the Field, baseball's all-time dream teams for all 30 franchises. And boy, does he love him some A's from the days of Philadelphia all the way to Oakland. Tom, how are you? Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good to be with you. Thanks. As a big baseball fan, before we get into your book, which I find fascinating, we, we haven't gotten the book yet, but we can't wait to get it and read it. Uh, what do you make of all of what's been going on the past few days, these bombshells that have happened in Houston and in Boston? Well, there's probably going to be even more. I, I, this is probably going to be a storyline that's going to be going throughout the season if more evidence comes forward from other clubs. But I do think that the owner of the Astros made the right move by going beyond what MLB decided to do. They were going to suspend the two, the manager and the general manager, as, as the leaders of, of what they were doing. Um, but uh, but actually going ahead and, and you know firing them and turning the page, I, I think is the right move for that for that franchise. Um, we'll have to see what uh, you know what else comes down the pipe from for other clubs. Um, I think there's probably been a lot of teams doing this, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, that it, it was going to be hard to believe that you'd have a manager and a general manager that were out for a year. So you'd have to bring in interim people, and then after the World Series, go, oh, they're back. I mean, it just just seems like this is not going to work. Yeah, it becomes a trust issue, and and while those two have you know done a lot of good things for that club i know the general manager is is well known and and certainly helped to to, to bring a lot of the young players along that that have built the astros out over the recent years um i do think it's just a trust issue with both their fan base and really with all the other with all the other teams in the league well let's talk about your book because when i first uh when it's brought to my attention I thought this is actually a fascinating topic, especially for organizations like the Oakland Athletics that have been around for a long, long time. Because you go back to the Philadelphia teams. I actually put my own list together once I, I, I heard about your book. But you, know, you look at the Oakland A's, you got Hall of Famers and World Champions from, from the Philadelphia Athletics to then what you had in the 70s to what, I mean, you talk about an all-time team. Definitely the A's are putting one of the best ones together. Yeah, definitely. The A's have been around since 1901. Some of the National League teams, of course, have been around even longer, going back to the 1800s. But, yeah, the A's can put together a, a really good roster, both pitching and hitting and, and relief pitching as well. So when you looked at it, who would you think had the, the most powerful team, if you look at their all-time team? So first off, let me just mention the methodology I used. I, I used wins above replacement as sort of a starting baseline. That's one of those new sabermetric stats that most people have at least heard of at this point. It really helps you to compare players across the different eras and, and determine who provided the most value in any given season. But I didn't stop there. I, I looked at traditional stats as well. I looked at uh, you know postseason performance because war only looks at, at, at the regular season. Uh, and then lastly, honors and awards. So things like all-star appearances and Gold Gloves won and stuff like that, which admittedly can be a popularity contest at times. But, um, but you know, I figure if someone was a 10-time All-Star versus a two-time All-Star, there's probably something there. Um, so to your question, uh, using that as the methodology, I do say, you know, I, I, for batting lineup, I, I think the Yankees probably are the strongest. The Red Sox are very strong. The Giants are very strong. But the Yankees aren't number one in my book in terms of 
in terms of the starting pitching staff. They've got some good hurlers like Whitey Ford and Ron Guidry and others, but I would actually say the A's could compete very well with uh, with with the Yankees. Lefty Grove, Eddie Plank, Rube Waddell. I mean, some of these are very old pitchers, uh, and then some of the more recent ones: Catfish Hunter, Vita Blue, Tim Hudson, Barry Zito, Dave Stewart. I included all of them on the on the A's thirty man roster. I absolutely love it. I think this is why it's fascinating because. As you mentioned, teams have been around a long time. If we could actually have like a tournament, this would be like the greatest thing ever. Because uh, you, know, you mentioned the Giants, you got the Dodgers, you got the Cardinals, you got these organizations that have won. You got the Detroit Tigers, you got you got all these organizations that have won championships throughout these decades that all their teams would have a fighting shot. Yeah, and it's fun to think about. You know, who would, if you had if you had a tournament with those which, by the way, I'm running a simulation with a company called Out of the Park Baseball, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're running multiple season simulations, having these rosters play against each other. And admittedly, it's not real fair to have, say, the Rays or the Marlins go up against you know, the Yankees or even the Athletics. Um, but nonetheless, you know, on any given day, someone you know, hits home runs and a pitcher does well, anyone can win. But, yeah, the Yankees will do well. The Red Sox will do well. Basically, the 16 original teams – uh, that date back to at least 1901, they're going to do better than, uh, on average, than the expansionary teams. Um, you know, the Astros, the Mets, they're going to they're going to win better than some of the other expansionary teams, but they're not going to compete overall with the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, teams like that. Okay, who are your best expansion era teams then? Yeah, I would say um, the Mets, the Angels. Um, you know, have a pretty good combination of both pitching and, and hitting on those two clubs. Um, the, uh, the Expo slash Nationals is actually pretty good. They've had a lot of talent over the years. And you think of Tim Raines, Andre Dawson, more recently Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon. You put Scherzer and Strasburg out on the mound. I mean, those are some legitimate stars and Hall of Famers there. I do think the Astros team, when I update the book later this year to include the 2019 and 2020 seasons, um, I'm going to be adding George Springer. I'll have to add Alex Bregman. So they're going to have an infusion of talent given that, you know, cheating aside <laughs> – their statistics are pretty strong uh, for these past several years. Well, the Expos slash Nationals, if you want to get technical, you could have Scherzer, Strasburg, Randy Johnson, and Pedro Martinez. <laughs> I actually do include Pedro Martinez. Uh, I don't include Johnson. He was only there very early in his career when he was kind of wild as a pitcher. He hadn't really hit his stride yet. Um, one thing I do allow, though, is for people to make more than one roster in the book. So Pedro Martinez is a good example of that. He makes both the Expos and Nationals, of course, makes the Red Sox. Um, but there's others that make that, including with your athletics, uh, you know, Jimmy Fox, Eddie Collins, Lefty Grove. They all split their careers between the A's and other teams. Uh, and so they make both uh, that franchise and, uh, and, and others, Red Sox in the case of Grove and Fox. Yeah, I was wondering how you were going to do that, right? You know, because like like Roger Clemens could be on multiple lists, you know. So I was wondering if you were going to allow guys, or if you didn't allow them, why would that be? And and, and so if I have Roger, if I have Roger Clemens, do I and I can't allow him to be on multiple teams? Do I got to put him in a place that he played the most? Right, and that's what other authors and fan surveys have done over the years. And one of the things my book does is, is I've, I've researched all of those going back to the 50s, and I describe each of those and, and compare their choices with mine. And in some cases, they didn't allow a player to be on more than one. But I thought that was kind of strange to do. I mean, the player was important to your franchise just as much as the other. So, you know, the one that always comes to mind for me is Frank Robinson. He split his career between the Orioles and the Reds. I feel like he should be allowed to be on both all-time dream teams. 
That is a very good point. How just how much fun was it doing this book and putting it together? Oh, a huge amount of fun. I grew up in the in the seventies and eighties. I live in western New York, and unlike uh, California, Florida, you can't play baseball year round. Uh, where I live, we get a lot of snow here, and so I, I would spend a lot of time as a kid with those big paper encyclopedias back then, and thinking about these kind of questions and who should be in the Hall of Fame and stuff like that. So. By the time uh, late 90s came around, I started writing the book. I worked on it off and on for many years. And I think partly it was uh, just a matter of, of what time did I have to dedicate to it. I had to rewrite chapters over time and stuff. But I also just really enjoyed the process as, as a big fan like yourself would, would probably have enjoyed as well. Yes, the book. I can't wait to read it. Now taking the field, baseball's all-time dream teams for all 30 franchises. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time. I know the books are uh, uh, are on the way. Can't wait to read it, and we'll keep promoting it for you. Great. Thanks a lot. Enjoy it when you get it. I can't. Just got the book. I can't wait to read it. It looks fascinating. Just breaking down the all-time teams really, really good. And you, speaking of good, every single Wednesday – Ray Fossey, two-time World Series champion, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, and two-time All-Star, joins us every Wednesday. Here is the great Ray Fossey. Do we have the face of the franchise? Two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, the face, Ray Fossey, joins us every Wednesday. How are you, Foss? You know what, Townie? I am great because it's just another week closer to the wonderful baseball season and can't wait to get going. So it's great. So, Fossey, how many times in your career did you go into spring training and not have a manager? (laughs) Not once, my friend. (laughs) Not once. Although when um, I think Alvin Dark might have been hired very, very late uh, before 74, all indications. Of course, when we showed up, he was managing. So it – it wasn't like this current situation that I'm sure you're referencing right now, but uh, no, it's, it's difficult because, you know, everything is planned the off season and you go to spring training uh, bench coaches usually are the ones that organize spring training. So nobody's standing around and the manager meets with the media and, you know, all these things, but man, you know, you've got to have somebody. And unfortunately uh, a couple of teams right now don't have one. I mean, and if and if some people think Carlos Beltran's not going to survive this, you could have three. You could have three teams that legitly don't have a manager going into spring training. I, you know, the manager sets the tone for the year, Foss. I just, I, I can't imagine. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. There's just so much negativity around these franchises right now, and usually when there's that kind of negativity, teams don't play as well. You know, I, I agree with you on that, and, and I'll be honest with you. Um, when when the Houston Astros, and again, the commissioner of baseball laid down the hammer. I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the, the punishment needs to be se- severe enough so that perhaps in the future it would deter anybody from doing the same thing. And I think he obviously did that. And, and you know, what has transpired since then with the firing of A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno then, you know, things are continuing, and who knows with the Cora deal what's going to happen with the Red Sox. But, you know, the, the, the one thing that I think when the players were granted immunity, if I'm a player in the Houston Astros and I was part of this system, I have to look at myself in the mirror and say, because of what I did, the manager's fired, the general manager's fired, a lot of suspicion is going to be ongoing uh, with, with this team for a long time. 
So, you know, on one side, if I know I'm granted immunity, I could say anything I want to say, you know, and uh, I, I just think to some degree, at least if you're going to talk to these guys, I don't know what the circumstances were, but if they were told up front, hey, you're not going to be punished, please tell us the truth. If you're not under oath and that statement is not made, you know, who knows what would have been said. But uh, we don't know. All I know is the commissioner has the power to do what he did. He did it. And I think right now baseball is trying to get back to the point of being a level playing field. And the commissioner of baseball seems to at least started that right now. What do you think about the players? Do you think they should get away with it? Well, that's why I think to some degree, no. But I will say, even though they may not be punished by the commissioner, you think about a player on right now, the Houston Astros, we do not know what's going to happen with the Red Sox. But let's take, for example, the Astros. Players going to arbitration. Players soon to be free agents. Uh, How is that going to affect them? Let's say an arbitration case has not been heard and you have a player who's looking for several million more than say what the club has offered you know as those that three panel arbitration do they say did you amass these numbers because you knew the pitches that were coming so you know i think if i were a player now uh, and i had an arbitration case i would want to settle as quickly as possible so that i do not have to be subjected to any sort of things that might transpire in an arbitration case which you know uh, that's going to be the tough part. But uh, I, I still think that on one hand, the players who were involved, and if A.J. Hinch twice took a hammer to a monitor, but yet they continued, I think at that point the manager doing that excessively, if he did that, it should have been said, enough is enough, guys. Let's play this game the right way. And if they continued, they're basically snubbing their nose at the manager who is saying, let's, let's stop it. And, you know, a manager can only do so much. And um, who knows what might have been happening. Um, but the manager and the general manager definitely have egg on the face right now. And the owner immediately, you know, I'll be honest with you, when, when I heard of the suspension, I said, well, you know, that's going to be tough on the Astros. But then within the hour, their owner fired both of them because I heard that he was going to start with a clean slate. I thought he was talking more about the assistant GM from the playoffs. I didn't know until I read almost immediately that uh, Hinch and Luno had been fired. If you were in charge of either organization, would you, A, go find somebody right away that can give you stability, a veteran-type guy that's, that's out on the market, or, B, do you do a traditional search and try and find someone you think is the long-term answer? I think they need to do something like uh, hire the bench coach <laughs> because internally, uh, I think it would be tough for a manager. And I know some managers want to get a job, but there are also some managers are going to say, no, I'm not going to take a job. And I think the latter part of what I just said would be more truthful. So if you take somebody within the organization as, as almost like, let's get through this 2020 season and then maybe, you know, give the guy a one-year deal. If he does well, hey, maybe he gets an extension. But if not, then at that point, maybe you can say, okay, we've cleared up our mess. Now we can go out on the market and try to find a bona fide manager if the one we use for 2020 doesn't work out uh, or, or maybe somebody's willing. But I think it's going to be difficult right now for anybody 
to take over a job where there's going to be tremendous amount of suspicion for 162 games, whether on the road or at home, especially at home, but definitely throughout the season, there's going to be a lot of suspicion. And I would venture to say that if every catcher in Houston doesn't use multiple signs all the time, shame on them. Because that's the only way what the, what the Nationals did in the World Series, look how much they won and how successful they were by changing signs. And, uh, you know, it, you could just see some of the at-bats. Obviously, they didn't know what was coming because they were swinging at pitches that were out of the strike zone. And if they knew what was coming, they wouldn't have been swinging at them. Yeah, I had I heard uh, an ex-player mention. You know what? Just let everybody do it, and if you get if they crack your code, they crack your code. But that's what this player said. He just goes, you know what? I'm tired of hearing about it. Just let everybody do it, and just make sure that your signs are good enough. You don't. They can't crack your code. Well, that's the whole thing, and, and I and there are a way to do that without really making it difficult on a pitcher and catcher. See, I I think the difficult part with the limited mound visits. You have to be assured as a catcher that the sign you put down, a multiple sign, that the pitcher is aware of what you're doing. Because I noticed in the 18 postseason with the Astros, they change signs all the time. And I'll be honest with you, Maldonado was boxing up balls all the time. And I'm going, what's wrong? Well, maybe there was some question as to whether he or his pitcher knew the sign that he was giving. If in the past, uh, before there was a limited mound visit, I'd go to the mound all the time. I'd say, okay. Uh, there's something suspicious going on. Let's, let's change signs. We're going to do this. But now, because you're limited, I think that really creates a problem. So, uh, But there are signs that can be used, and I know I use signs as a catcher that I knew that nobody knew what I was uh, calling except my pitcher. And that was with the runner at second base, whether it was a runner on base or not. I used, I, I used multiple signs, and I don't ever remember uh, anybody <laughs> stealing the signs the legitimate way with the runner at second base. It just didn't happen. So it can be done. I agree. I agree with that player because you can create signs that nobody can detect. And I think hitters will show, you know, the Danny Farquhar, when, when he was pitching to Evan Gattis, when a hitter takes the change up the way he was taking them, something's going on. Because, Tony, you played baseball. You know you throw a fastball or change up. They're both out of the same slot. You just grip the ball differently and then it becomes an 8 to 10 mile an hour differential. But it's the same arm slot, same arm speed, and that's why a hitter will start his swings, and you get a lot of check swings on pitches that are thrown the same way but are different velocities. But in an instance that John Boy came up with in that one, uh, when Farquhar was pitching and finally called his catcher out to change, change the signs, you know, it was pretty evident that the hitter knew what was coming because he did not offer at the change that he was throwing. Yeah, you know, I think about it, Foss, watching so many of these games where these Astros, their guys don't even flinch on pitches when yeah. they're at home. Don't well, even that, flinch. That's, that's the giveaway. That's the giveaway. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I looked at the same hitter in a game against the Tampa Bay Rays in game five of the Division Center uh, Series. I saw him take a curveball, and that same batter I saw swinging a curveball for strike three that wasn't even close. So – the knowledge of knowing it's coming and looking in a zone to the knowledge of not knowing what's coming and swinging at a pitch you'd think it's something else and ends up out of the strike zone. So a hitter will tell you whether he knows what's coming or not, um, and, and I think we were able to see that with some of the players. Did you like – would you want to know? Because some guys don't want to know. <laughs> 
You know what? I may have said this before, <laughs> but when I was playing with a baseball, I told the catcher what was coming because he's going for the home run record. And he said, well, I'll tell you everything. We were 0 for 8. <laughs> so it, it, it sometimes, you know, if you know what's coming, you have to be disciplined enough to say, okay, I know a fastball is coming. I'm not going to jump out of my shoes, open up, try to pull the ball. You just take your normal swing and get the results. But sometimes, I mean, I've known players uh, who said, I don't know. I don't want to know what's coming. I'd rather react on pitches myself rather than know, because evidently throughout his time of hitting, he may not have had success knowing what's coming, but I've known hitters that know. And a lot of times it's, it's a matter of off speed versus fastball. And some say, just tell me the location location. A lot of times will tell you the type of pitch, because if it's a right-handed hitter, right-handed pitcher, and the target is inside more times than not, it's going to be a fastball just because guys don't start curveballs at hitters. They start them more in the middle of the plate away, trying to get them a swing at a bad pitch. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's part of the game if you do it the right way, but using technology as we've talked about is not the right way. And I think that's why the commissioner did what he did. So earlier today, we had an author on. Uh, the book is now taking the field. Baseball's all-time dream teams for all 30 <laughs> franchises. And he talked about, you know, the Yankees lineup would probably be, be the best all-time. He said the A's pitching might be the best all-time. Pretty fascinating to think if you went for the best players, especially for these these franchises that have been around for over 100 years, you take their yeah. best players and make a dream team, it's a great conversation. Well, it's going to be very subjective because, you know, just like the uh, what all-century team or top 100 players, remember that in Boston when Ted Williams came out in the golf cart? But you, you think about some of the players that were named and, and lined up on at Fenway Park before the All-Star game, you know, I'm looking at them and saying, where's Musial? You know, where, where's Gehrig? You know, but I, I think you're looking at the voters being more in a current era. But in baseball, if you go back and know the history of the game, there's some fabulous players. And there is, I don't, is it MLB that's doing the uh, top 100 in, in reverse? And I'm looking at some of these players who are, let's say, 92. And I'm going, wait a minute. Why is he so high? You know, who's going to be in that top 10? Uh, but but that is a great, great conversation because there are so many great players that have played this great game that you could look at and, and put together a team and say, wait a minute, what about this guy? He's, I didn't even mention him. So it, it's, a, it's a great way to look at the great game of baseball because, as I've always said, there's a great history to the game, there's a great presence, and there's going to be a great future. And that's in baseball because we know some of the greats have played the game. And like you said with the Yankees, you go back in the history and you look at some of those great players. Uh, I, I watched last night the documentary on uh, the great Mickey Mantle. Sad, but a great player. Um, but still, what, what a wonderful, what a wonderful history. And they do the Yankeeographies where they'll go back and do uh, uh, great, great stories on the players of the past. And some of, sometimes go to Yankee Stadium, just watch the video board when they do the Yankeeography and see some of the great players that played the game. It's, it's a wonderful thing. You want to hear my starting lineup? Let's hear it. I love to hear it. At catcher, Mickey Cochran. That's a good one. I want to say Ray Fossey, but Cody wouldn't allow no, me to no, do no, it. No, 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 no. You'd be stupid, and I'd call you stupid if you did that. Go ahead. First base, double X, Jimmy Fox. Yep, great. 
Uh, Eddie Collins at second base. <laughs> Sal Bando, Captain Sal at third. Okay. Shortstop, this might be controversial for you. I went with Miguel Tejada. Interesting. This is the all-time? Yeah, this all-time A's. This counts everybody. We're putting an all-time lineup together. I got you. Okay. That's okay. All right. Left field's Ricky Henderson. Center field is Al Simmons. Right field is Reggie Jackson. And my DH is Mark McGuire. That's a heck of a team. You could book the World Series on that one, buddy. <laughs> and 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 then I mean, seriously, I mean, pitching. Get, you know, you, you, give me Lefty Grove, give me Catfish. I I, I mean, can, can you imagine in our bullpen, Foss? If I'm the manager, you're the manager. I'm the bench coach. We've got Raleigh Fingers and Dennis Eckersley at the end of the game. <laughs> uh, you know what, though, if you throw some of those pitchers out there, they wouldn't go to the bullpen. They would complete <laughs> the game. <laughs> You know, because you're, you're talking about the current where it's a starting pitcher maybe goes six innings and, and 100 pitches, and then you go to the setups and you get the closers. But, you know, I like your thinking because, see, Raleigh, Raleigh could pitch seventh and eighth and X the ninth, or Raleigh could pitch sixth, seventh, and eighth and X the ninth because Raleigh was a multi-inning reliever, a closer, whereas X was pretty much a, a one-inning uh, closer. But uh, those are two pretty good guys to come in out of the bullpen. And you know one great guys is my fact. You know one pitcher who doesn't get enough. I mean, you guys knew he was good, but doesn't get enough love is Holtzman. Holtzman, I mean, he just, I, he won so many big games for you guys. I knew you were going to say him, and I'm glad you did because I agree. I agree. He was a good hitter. He was a great pitcher, and you know his philosophy. I don't know if I told this story to you, but in a playoff game that he pitched against the Orioles, in 74, I think 74, he threw, I think it was 110 pitches. He threw one curveball. The rest were fastballs and batting practice fastballs. Tommy, I would give a fastball sign and I'd separate my hands about a foot and a half. And for him, that was take that much off his fastball. The great Brooks Robinson back and forth is like in a rocking chair because three and one, three and two, two oh, they didn't know if a true fastball was coming or this batting practice fastball, and he threw one curveball. And I've told pitchers, I've told young pitchers, veteran pitchers, I said, if a pitcher can throw a league championship game and throw one curveball and the rest fastballs and BP fastballs, because he, Kenny Holtzman, if I called a changeup in his mind, he felt he had to throw it 8 to 10, 12-mile differential from his fastball. But if I separated my hands by a foot and a half, it was throw the same arm speed, but just take a little bit off that it was not the true fastball. And so that's why you had a hitter who was off balance, thinking here comes a fastball because it looked like it, but it wasn't the true fastball. Kenny Holtzman, you, you would love his philosophy. He said, I'd want to pitch for an hour and a half, win or lose, let's go home. That was it. And that's why in the World Series, I'd call a curveball. And he'd, he'd, he'd look at me and say, I don't want to throw it. Takes. He said, the hitters aren't going to swing at it. And the umpire might not call it a strike, so let's go with a fastball. World Series. That's what he did. Oh. But he was he was a, he was a great pitcher. He knew how to pitch. I saw him. He had a no hitter going against the Detroit Tigers, and in the eighth inning, the Tigers hit a Tom Verizon. They hit a ball to left center field, and unfortunately, the wind took it, and our center fielder didn't go after it aggressively, and the ball dropped cleanly for a hit. It was a one hitter. 
most of them said, what's the big deal? Still won, you know. But their big guys would be so upset that it wasn't caught, and he completed a no-hitter. But Kenny Holtzman had several himself, so it wasn't like that's he, – he wanted to win. He wanted to pitch quickly. They, the players loved playing behind him because he did work quickly. And a lot of success, whether it was swinging the bat or taking the bat out of the hitter's hands, he was tremendous. So you, you look at these franchises that have been around for over 100 years, and if you look at their all-time teams, and you start talking about Dodgers, Giants, A's, Tigers – Indians, yeah. Yankees, Red Sox, these teams. And then one that I think about that would be near and dear to your heart, the team that you grow up with, my God, the Cardinals could put together oh, an incredible God. all-time team. Oh, oh it, that was it, that's, you know, I agree. I agree. Marty Marion, <laughs> Stan Musial, Red Shandies. I mean, there, there's so many great players. You're right. And, and you know, the, the current players and, and – just so many great players, and, and I enjoyed watching them at Old Sportsman's Park um, growing up and, and watching them in the 50s and watching those great players play. I mean, it was a lot of fun to watch them because they played the game the right way. They loved the game. And for me as a kid, idolizing these Cardinals, especially Sam Musial, to see them play and to be close to them but not intrude and, and ask for an autograph, I never did that, but it was fun watching them. But you're right. But, you know, I think – Correct me if I'm wrong, there were eight teams in the American, eight teams in the National, nobody west of the Mississippi, traveled by train, and talk about a lot of fun. And that's why the World Series was over probably October 10th, because the American League played the National League, seven-game series. If it went seven, if it didn't, you know, it's over, done. But, I mean, you had to be the top team of the eight teams to go to the World Series. And, of course, the Yankees did it a lot of times. But uh, how about the Indians at 54, uh, winning 116 of 154 games? You know, so, you know, it, it, those, those are some great teams. But, you know, that I, I would love to have been a player during that period of time and travel by train to go from city to city to play games. That would have been, to me, I think that would have been the ultimate. I mean, traveling the way the teams do now with charters, I mean, that's great. But can you imagine traveling like your grandfather did on a, a train? to go from city to city to play baseball? Oh, you know, you know, we're doing uh, we're doing the family D.C. trip. We're taking the kids to the Capitol here in February before That's spring right. training, and we're going to do the, the dining car up to Philadelphia, and then we're going to uh-huh. do the dining car up to New York. So we're going we're gonna to do that in February. And, yeah, uh, supposedly my grandfather loved it. I mean, you got, you got to know oh. your teammates. You traveled by train. The only thing that I know he hated, and that would be horrible for you, are those wool uniforms and that humidity. <laughs> hey, I wore them in Venezuela, so I was aware, I was aware of that. Can you imagine playing winter baseball in Venezuela wearing those wool uniforms? I did. I did. And it was, it was something. But, but you know the, uh, the movie, that, uh, the Gehrig movie, um, where they're on the train and Babe Ruth and, and Lou Gehrig, and, and they're traveling. And, I mean, you talk about a lot of fun, the club car. And they're, I mean, that, that, I think, was comparable to the team in 2012 going to Tokyo Remember that team? You were there and how there were a lot of different players and how Bob Melman said it kind of brought the team together and they had success because they worked together on that long flight to Tokyo, played the games over there, were together, and then flew back. They got to know each other and boom, had a great season winning on the final day of the season. So I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. 
and traveling by train, man, that had to be great. That had to be tremendous. What'd you think about Josh Johnson's four-year deal with the Minnesota Twins? Well, I will say this. The Twins are going for it because I think winning the division the way they did in 19 uh, this past summer and being that close and, you know, they got Homer Bailey, they got uh, uh, Rich Hill, some veteran pitchers. They get Donaldson. They move to Sonoda first base. Um, you know, and, and as funny as it sounded, when that new stadium, when it was built and the ball didn't carry, the ball carries very well now. J.D. will have a good season playing there because he hits the ball as well to right field as anybody. He has power to right field, and the ball will carry to right field. I think he's going to be tremendous for that ball club. And, you know, the Central Division in the American League is uh, is one that for at one time was all Cleveland. And now Minnesota stepped in. Uh, Kansas City's coming back. Uh, Detroit still growing. Uh, Chicago, look at what they've done. So it's going to be an interesting division, especially between the White Sox and the Twins. And, uh, but, but I think for JD, I, I, when we talked before, I thought he would go back to Atlanta because he's from the South. He had a great year there last year. He's with his former general manager in, in, uh, Toronto, but you know, he can DH in the American league. He could not do it in the national league. Maybe that was a factor, but in most cases in the case, you know, they always talk about his age. A lot of times a player will sign a long-term contract and the team will hope that that player is going to be a tremendous player for the first couple of years of contract because they're already saying in 23, it might not be a good contract for the Twins. But Josh Donaldson can play. Coming off a year last year in which he was the National League uh, Comeback Player of the Year, I I'd say it's a good move for the Twins. Surprising, but we'll get the team. Uh, matter of fact, the opening series against the Twins. Caesars Palace has come out with their win totals for 2020. And they have the A's at 89 and a half wins. Really? Interesting. You like 97 the, the last two? I, I, I got to go 90 plus at least. Because if, if they won 97, the A's won 97 the last two years. And you look at the pitching staff that's coming back. You look at the position players who have another year under their belt, a couple of years of back to back and postseason. Um, I'm not going to say 100, but i got to say 90-plus. So maybe that half, stick it up to 90. <laughs> you know? But uh, I'll take my chances with the A's in the division. Uh, I've said before, I think the Angels are going to be good because of Joe Madden. The Rangers are going to be good because they're going into the new stadium. They've, they've done some things to improve their ball club, but uh, it should be a fun division. And you can't really discount the Astros because they have a good team. But I, I think with all the suspicion and, and Tony, every time a, a player with the Astros plays in Houston and they don't have a great game, what are people going to say? Hey, you didn't know what was coming. So those players are going to have to live with that for a long time, at least in 2020. But uh, I'll take my chances with the A's because I think Chris Davis is going to come back much stronger than he was last year. So that's going to be a huge benefit offensively. Chapman and Olsen. I mean, who knows what Olsen's going to do with a full season under his belt, not have the hammy that he had this past year. Chapman is going to get better and better. Simeon, look what he did. Laureano's going to get better. Piscotti, getting Robbie Grossman back. I think Sean Murphy's going to do well. And you look at those pitchers, I, I think it's going to be a challenge for Scott Emerson and Bob Melvin to be able to get the maximum out, especially Lazardo, Puck, and Manaya because they didn't pitch that much in, 19, uh, in 2019. So – 
uh, I'm looking forward to it because I think it's going to be a wonderful season, and I think the fans are going to enjoy every bit of the 2020 season with this team. Great stuff, Foss. We'll talk to you next week. Tony, you're the best. Cody, Cody's even better. <laughs> see, you, see you, Ray. Talk to you later, buddy. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to another edition of A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Dan Shaughnessy. We want to thank Lou Merloni. And we want to thank Tom Stone. And, of course, our own Ray Fossey. Now back to A's cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 